Hello, and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wabo's most forgotten work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are here to talk about Signature 8.7, which is the final chapter in our Signature interlude arc. Yeah. Um, oh, to be, I, I mean, I'm actually kind of sad to, to I know, to go. right? Like, I really enjoyed this arc. I'm obviously a huge uh, Mags fan. Mm-hmm. She's not called that yet. We're going to keep calling her ex-Maggie until the end of the chapter. I'm I'm gonna keep stuffing it up though. Yeah, me too. The amount of times um, I accidentally typed Mags and then was like, "Wait, no, you, we don't know about that yet." I think I've just written Mags most of the time, but nice. uh, oh, can we call her Proto Mags? Proto Mags, yeah, Pre Mags. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, this, you're right. I really love this uh, interlude arc. I really love having Mags, Proto Mags, as our as our uh, as our point of view character here. Um, Having said that, the ending to this chapter really is a, a pretty great cliffhanger that makes you want to get into the next one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I guess uh, stay tuned for the live read soon, folks. Yeah, it'll probably be happening around when this episode comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the way this chapter starts is with Premags again, giving blood to Molly's ghost, which is something that we started seeing throughout this entire chapter. And she apologizes for missing yesterday while she was trapped in some johannes time shenanigans i had completely like in 8.6 when she said she wanted to get out at 3 30 i had no idea why she wanted that and it seems so obvious now this mm-hmm. was her daily ritual and yeah uh, i mean this whole seg- segment is such a great way to like round up uh you know the character arc of whatever the hell we're calling this character mm-hmm. um that's had this arc yeah yeah, because um, obviously we've seen her interacting with Molly throughout the whole story. And I think we probably discussed expecting it to be more overt in the way that Molly's ghost ties back in. But I think it actually quite nicely ties back in thematically to the decision that uh, Premags makes towards the end of the chapter. Um, yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, essentially what we see here, and it's something that's been set up, is that the Molly ghost is basically a vessel for uh, Mags to... Mm. Ha- do- basically, she, she has a bit of a solilo- uh, soliloquy here. Uh, I, st- I don't know why I chose that word. I can't say it. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it, I, like it, it's here that she sort of comes to the, to the decision to, to not go with Johan's uh, yeah. offer, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so it's, it's just a really powerful... Nice moment that ties some stuff together for the actual tying up that we'll get to later on. Yeah. Um, when uh, X Maggie mentions that she missed a day, I-, I don't know, maybe I'm too paranoid, but I definitely, when I was first reading it, was kind of like, oh, is that going to come back in some way towards the end of this chapter? <laughs> um, but it doesn't, which is, I think, the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, my first thought when we opened with a Molly chat as i was like oh i see what we're gonna do this we'll, this is where she the gets se- the name <laughs> uh, and i was no i was like we're gonna lay the seeds here she's gonna go back to johan's and be like nah and then come and get the molly name um as a reward for saying no but you know obviously what happens is even cooler <laughs> molly's ghost what says hey that was cool you have my name yeah <laughs> yeah no i can see it um no i i actually think that it, it resolves in quite a nice way it, it resolved in a way that isn't like over the top but isn't 
like nothing it's i think it hit the perfect middle ground i mean it's super epic but it's super deserved anyway yeah we'll get there we'll get we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, we'll get, when we we'll get there um I, I also really like this one segment from this scene uh where so again mags is just sort of monologuing at the molly ghost and, and kind of sorting through her own feelings um yeah and and, and she has a bit where she says to the ghost star you aren't religious right that'd be weird a church going diabolist family uh, and then it says, her light, fake laugh was empty in the still air. <laughs> and I, I love how, you know, something I noticed I did both times I read this was, I'm not someone who keeps a super clear picture of the scene in my head, but this line almost makes me do a wide shot of the scene I had been picturing. Like, you do sort of picture a scene of Maggie and or whatever, and Molly <laughs> uh, near each other, and and then the, just the, the thought of this laugh kind of, echoing uh, like through the still air around you just sort of cause you to do this wide shot and just picture her and molly standing there like alone and it's like i don't know it's just such a cool it, it invokes these visual images it's almost like telling your brain to to move to a wide shot it's so cool yeah it's definitely very easily picturable um yeah one of the lines that i like that, uh setting up this chapter is uh, just in case it wasn't obvious enough that this is 8.7, the final chapter in the arc. Um, <laughs> Maggie thinks to herself, my vision is getting a little weird around the edges, which is making me think I don't have a lot of time. Um, and we see this come through the whole part of the chapter where it really, we really see that things are starting to get real dire for pre-mags here. Yeah, it instantly reminds us of that time, and that's something that happens a lot throughout this chapter. As yes, you said, we... we're, constantly, <laughs> we're constantly getting hammered with the idea that time is running out, and every time she steps into Johans's domain, it disappears a lot more quickly than it would otherwise. Yeah, um, we see time run out this chapter, and it's very cool. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, so X Maggie explicitly kind of is saying goodbye to Molly here, um, or at least she's at the start of this conversation. She basically says to Molly, hey, I'm, I'm going to take Johannes's offer, so I probably can't come visit you anymore. Yeah, and I mean, because 8.6 ended with that really long phone call with her mum, which we sort of said felt like this final goodbye phone call. And then it's yep. so interesting that then now we go here and now I feel like this is her final goodbye. Because I think, you know, obviously you get to say goodbye to your mum and stuff too, but it she can only really be honest with Molly is something we sort of touched on in the first half of the arc. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, that's sort of, it, it's just her sort of talk, like, you know, as, as I said, it's sort of a soliloquy, like she's just talking it through with herself, basically, mm. uh, through the Molly uh, vehicle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it definitely adds to that feeling of finality. Um, so, yeah, Premags is is quite upset with herself for taking Johannes's deal. Um, and the thing that she thinks about with, with Molly's ghost right in front of her is she kind of feels like she's doing the exact same thing that led to her being responsible for, for Molly's death. Um, it kind of feels to her, again, like she's choosing the, the Laird Baham over the, you know, the Molly Walker or the Thorburns. Yeah, and I think this is the point where she makes the decision to not take the deal. Um, it's not sort of explicitly stated because that's sort of left as something we're unsure about for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, but just sort of looking at, you know, before she said she didn't want to be visiting Molly because it would be weird if she was working against the Thorburns. And then obviously we know later that she didn't take the deal. So like this is the point where she sort of is looking at Molly and this is where the Molly ghost, you know, is is really used. Um, 
you know, she she looks at the Molly Ghost and she thinks, "Oh fuck, I'm doing it again. I'm, yeah. I'm making the smart choice, not the right choice." And, <laughs> you obsessed know, I with can't. that analogy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And so she she decides to you know break the pattern. Um, yeah. Uh, so the next thing we see is her kind of considering her options, kind of trying to figure out what are the options do I even have, and she seems to strike on one, thinking of a way to use the goblins for something. Uh, we're not sure what at this point, but she does get Buttsack to tell her uh, where all the local goblins hang out. Yeah, and there's this great imagery as her and Buttsack walk off of how their limps match each other, which, um, you know, hammers home that idea that she is, uh, you know, a bit gobliny. Yeah. Um, just because of her uh, continued exposure. Um, but yeah, it, you're right. At this point, I, I, you don't have any idea what her plan is for the goblins. And I was like, oh, she's just planning on capturing a bunch and leeching power from them because, like, oh. Yeah, she'll become um, even more goblin. I mean, it's probably yeah. not a good sign that as her herness slips away, she plugs it up with goblin essence. Yeah, yeah. Um, a detail I really love is that Buttsack seems to be really hated by all the other goblins. Uh, like, he seems to torment them enough that they just don't want to hang out with him, which means he's shitty enough that even goblins don't want to be his friend. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't. He he is a particularly hateful little shit, uh, for sure. Um, but I never, I I guess I don't picture goblins as super social creatures. Like I almost feel like they probably hang out together more as a safety in numbers thing than a we actually enjoy each other's company thing. I don't know, maybe yeah. I'm wrong on that. But um, no, I think that's like, probably a fair read. Like I, I assume, like I assume they don't hang out on weekends and have barbecues. You know, <laughs> I mean, who knows? Who knows? They might. <laughs> they might be really friendly to each other, except not Budzak. Um There's one other line here, which I thought was really scary, and I really liked it. Uh, when uh, she's walking, and uh, I'll just read it out. The girl in the checkered scarf grabbed at her scarf before the wind could claim it, and make it so she was no longer the girl in the checkered scarf, but only the girl. Which is such a cool beat, because of course... The girl in the checkered scarf is the only identity she has left. Um, mm. So the fact that she could possibly lose her scarf here and and be just the girl, like literally have no identity, that is uh, very scary to me. Yeah, you're right. Like This terrifies me more than any of the other talk about how weak or, or anything she's getting. Like in, a, in an arc where she's literally been trying to save the concept of herself, uh, and throughout that arc, she's been referred to as the girl in the checkered scarf. The idea of losing that is suddenly like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. you know, this is, she's really on the brink. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, before she goes and rounds up goblins at Goblin Park, uh, Scarf Girl decides instead that she should visit, uh, visit Johannes for some more supplies. Yeah. And on a reread, uh, the fact that she clarifies that she's going to need two buckets is particularly uh, hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Johannes, I think, does pretty well here. He again kind of proves that he's being a, a pretty big chiller. Um, he basically hands these supplies over to, to pre-Maggie with no uh, ask. Um, she's got a lot of goodwill, apparently. Yeah, I think I think there'll be more to say about what I think about Johannes after, you know, the, the, uh, the bunch we learn about him yeah. later. Yeah. But uh, yes, I mean, he's uh consistently fairly generous when it doesn't hurt him to be so yeah uh yeah definitely um the other thing that gets mentioned in this chapter is johannes mentions a duck knight which who knows what the fuck that is but it sounds fun 
Yeah, I mean, she specifically asks him, what's a Duck Knight? And he's like, oh, it's just some other that, you know, tagged along and now we made a deal. And I was like, that is not what she was asking. Wait, <laughs> and we all know it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I, I hope I hope we get to find out about the Duck Knight. Duck I hope Knight this is, is our another... new POV, Elliot, from Arcanine <laughs> onwards. Um... No, I'm, I'm more worried that Duck Knight will be subsuming Earth Zion uh, <laughs> later in the story. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, Pre-Maggie uh, kind of seems to get pretty curious about Johannes' familiar, who we've gotten hints of how powerful this familiar is. Uh, and so mm. as a as a weird uh, game slash gesture of good faith, I suppose, um, Johannes exchanges three questions with Scarf Girl, where they both are allowed to ask three questions that the other has to answer. So despite everything I'm probably going to say about Johannes later in the chapter, <laughs> I really like the, uh, the dynamic these two have here. Um, like it feels like a very reasonable expectation of what a pra like a professional practitioner relationship should be. Neither of them like fucks each other over, but you know they're not like blindly walking around being like, "Oh, I'll trust everything to you." Like they're guarded, but like they're both fair with each other. And it it, it was really like I don't know if we've seen this in the story before, <laughs> but they're both just kind of nice. Yeah, and it's like it, it it could be like this all the time. Everyone. <laughs> like, yeah, just... um, and it's totally set up that. Uh, Pre-Maggie could be fucked over by Johannes here, right? Yeah, you you know, you're right. Like, the the first time through, you're definitely worried that he's going to pull some shit. Especially because, you know, Alexis had the same sort of thing with the sisters uh, back in Toronto, where they were going to get to ask her three questions. So, you, you're sort of sitting there going, well, you know, what's he what's he going to pull or whatever? And, and of course, it's, it just ends up being nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but again, Pre-Maggie. Be careful of this stuff. Like, this is what went wrong for you last time. <laughs> oh, well, you know, there was the veto this time. That, that was what yeah, you called sure. out in 8.2, that she needs, she needs to get the veto. Yeah, I guess. I mean, still, that was kind <laughs> of like a, if you have to do it, here's a Band-Aid. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, uh, Maggie, uh, pre-Maggie, of course, first asks about how he got the domain and Johannes vetoes it immediately, um, <laughs> which is perfect. Uh, and instead, ex-Maggie asks about uh, Faisal, uh, Johannes's familiar, and how he landed Faisal as his familiar. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that veto because it was just like the obvious use of his veto. So yeah. like, it does really feel like the the kind of one sided thing where it was just like, okay, domain is like veto. It was like, okay, well, it's out of the way now. Yeah, um, exactly. But all this stuff we learn about uh, Faisal's so cool. Like, so we finally get confirmation that there are angel or that there are going to be angels in the story. Mm -hmm. Um. And I mean, I'm I'm really excited to see more. I'm already getting the impression that they're kind of that like black and white moral righteousness bullshit that I love in <laughs> uh, things like like angel representations. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really excited to see more. I, like I think Johannes was giving me a lot of like anti Blake vibes this mm. chapter, uh, and and of course you know finding out he's associated with angels uh, kind of makes sense for that. Um, he like he might be everything that's bad about the side of the right, and Blake is everything that's good about the side of the wrong. Are we? Uh, when are we getting into some of this Johanna stuff? Because I I don't I don't know if we can call him that bad. Uh, <laughs> we'll get into it in a bit, I suppose. Um, okay, okay, yeah. So I'll, I'll wait. Um, anyway, but so so I guess so to make sure I'm I'm sort of connecting the dots right here. Johanna's was fucking with like the structure of the earth or something you know because he said um he should have gotten someone from the third choir uh and then when this 
Angel came down to basically put him down for breaking the rules, which apparently isn't something they do for demons, but they do it when people fuck up. Mm. Um, he managed to convince the angel to join his side. And then <laughs> also he has these like kick-ass pipe implements. Like It seems like he's really gone three for three in terms of the, uh, the power yep. distribution. Yeah, he really seems to have some really strong stuff at his side. Um, his kick-ass yep. domain, uh, this angel who seems very powerful, and his implement. Um, yeah, like, yeah, he's three for three. Like, they all seem great. Like, Blake agonized for so long about which one to kind of cut corners on to strengthen the other two, and Johans seems to have completely skipped that um, that trade-off. Yeah. Um, I love the way that we find out what Faisal is, because we know that he's really powerful, uh, and we kind of, it gets set up for us, but not in a way where it's kind of explicitly confirmed until the end of the chapter, or closer to the end of the chapter. Which means you're kind of like, wait, is he an, uh, an angel? And then you kind of, mm. it, it falls into place later. And you're just like, fuck, that's that's great. Yeah, I, I agree. It's uh, it's sort of hinted so that when you're paying attention, you're like, oh, like I can't I can't commit 100%, but I, I'm thinking. And then later on, you're just like, yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah. Um. All right, let's talk about Johannes. Uh, because <laughs> this is the part where he talks about why this amusement park exists. Um. He talks about how... Humanity and practitioners are actually winning against the others. Actually, not even just practitioners. The fact that humanity has consistent mm. technological advances and they are quick enough that others can't really keep up. Um, so, uh, Johannes suspects that others are going to become more and more desperate as they continue to lose ground. And rather than kind of let there be a, a huge war, he basically wants to give others a territory where they can be others and not have to kind of light a spark. Yeah, so I, I, the interesting thing for this to me, like I, I think the idea that humans have grown in population over the last two thousand years is, uh, like you know, something most people have probably connected to by now, and uh, sort of like oh, like humanity is getting bigger. But I think the interesting angle on that is the whole like the more rapid developments. Like we we've seen how I think it was metal is replacing wood as one yeah. of the elements and stuff, and. Well, like the the thing I'd never sort of thought about was that as this is happening more and more rapidly, humanity isn't just taking space away from the others. We're now taking like the power of like symbolism and stuff because we're going through it and discarding it so quickly that they can't keep up. Yeah, totally. Um, so we're like we're encroaching on another angle of um. We're just we're basically creating another angle of attack on them. Yeah. Um. I love that conceptually because we've kind of touched on, I mean, I remember way back in, God, who knows when, I think it was like arc five, maybe when we had the interlude from, um, uh, who was it? It was the, oh, when we had the Black Lamb's Blood interlude, probably like arc four, maybe. That was arc four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about the idea of like a, a incest succubus demon thing, uh, uh, and how there would be spirits of what were considered like- uh, fo- uh, bad things in the past, like we could imagine a kind of homosexuality demon or whatever went back when it was a huge taboo or more of a huge taboo. And now obviously times change and we were kind of thinking about this back then and this pays that that concept off really nicely. The idea that, yeah, yeah times are changing and others can't keep up and it means that they're just going to kind of start falling more and more by the wayside. Um, and I really like mm. the idea of Johannes being aware enough to see that and to set up a system that kind of protects a bit against what could really b- 
be be pretty badly? What could lead to circumstances where something like uh, others not uh, going after innocence might change? Yes, I mean, there's still the torture of innocent vestiges, but that's mm-hmm. a well a well trodden path. So let's not go down that. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting. I, I feel like we're really starting to set up these global stakes for the second half of the story. Mm. Um, you know, with with um, uh, and, and now all of this stuff. I think where it feels like things are ramping up. We're going to start to see the sort of idyllic. Uh, conflict that will really summarize, you know, the the ending of the story. I think. Okay, interesting. Which is really cool. Hmm. Um. Yeah. I, I I agree. It kind of escalates our stakes a bit and kind of puts some context to some of the things that we've been talking about with Blake and Black Lamb's Blood and the lawyers, right? Um. Because yeah. the idea that we've gotten up till now is that demons specifically, but others generally, uh, seem to be an unstoppable kind of force, right? Um. Something that continues to uh, get worse and worse and is kind of relentless, um, kind of tending towards entropy, demonic entropy, right? Um, but Johannes here is kind of talking about the idea that, no, no, that's not actually the case. Maybe it is the case for demons, but for others, we're actually winning this battle. Yeah, because well, for a lot of these things, like, you know, if we take goblins as an example, uh, presumably whatever discarded bits of practitioner goblins sprout from they'd need room to do that in Mm. um like for starters like that's a quite a simple example of how there's going to be less goblins because there's less places for goblins to kind of pop up yeah totally um yeah i i think it instills a real sense of hope that we haven't had when we've been thinking about others in the past um and it also i think possibly lends some more context to why diabolists are the worst kind of practitioners because all these other others, we can deal with them. Like, it seems like they can be dealt with on a global scale. But demons, if you make a deal with a demon, you've permanently fucked us over. Yes, and, and of course, you know, that depends on whether you, you know, Blake was making the argument that they're the ones actually dealing with the demons and beating them back. Yeah, um, of course. Because they're the only ones who'll go near them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if anything, it kind of adds more validity to Blake's claim. Um that, you know, they're one of the more serious threats and the Diabolists are some of the most important ones if they're the ones hopefully dealing with it rather than, well, dealing with them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so now it's Johannes's turn. Uh, so Johannes's first question is he asks her point blank, are you going to take the deal? Uh, and she says, no, she's refused. Yay. Yeah. Um, and this is where we, this is the first time we really see, oh, actually, she is refusing. She's turned around. Uh and it kind yeah. of pays off what we've seen with Molly over the course of this arc, right? Um, and especially this chapter. She she doesn't ever want to just be the enforcer of another practitioner. She doesn't want to be the bad guy. Um, good choice. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I think it was really driven by the bit where she says she's really fucking sorry to Molly. Like, it's a really powerful moment. That's the bit where she's like, I can't. I have to change something. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, good work. Good work, Mags. Uh, Pre-Mags. Um, so... Johannes uh, has one question left, and she's backed into a corner, and he he drops the big bomb on her. He asks, "Why can't you swear?" <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so good. <laughs> it's such a fun payoff, right? Because we've kind of hit the beat of Johannes could actually screw over premags with with these questions, um, and it kind of sets it up. 
and then drops the, the funniest question on her. <laughs> and it's such a like mundane answer. Like, yeah, we all kind of knew what it was going to be. She made a bad deal and now she can't swear. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Um, yeah, it's it's a great anticlimax because you're right. You're so worried about what this question's going to be that's going to screw everything <laughs> up and it's just not. Yeah. Um, but before Premags leaves, uh, Johannes wants to ask her one more question in exchange for a bit more help. Um, he thinks that there's another reason why she's really refusing his deal. And so he asks her. And she delivers what I think is the greatest burn of all time right here. <laughs> it's pretty fucking good. Yeah. Um, she basically says, I've only heard of one other person who lured angels down another path. And he sounded pretty convincing. <laughs> and uh, it seems like, I mean, Johannes kind of takes it in stride, but it really seems like he has to be like, huh, interesting <laughs> yeah. point. <laughs> Yeah, there's um, sort of a like his response of just like, ouch. Uh, I think yeah. is spot on. Um, yeah, because yeah. Uh, the parallels are there, right? Like he's a mm. he, ha- he seems to have a pretty strong moral purpose that is kind of non-traditional. Um, he's lured this angel. I-, I don't know. I mean, I can see it. Yeah, and I mean, my favorite types of villains are these like calm, self-confident ones, like who believe in their moral righteousness and and have a little bit of standing for it um and and, wait johannes is certainly shaping up to fit that bill yeah yeah definitely um the thing i like about this though is we've we've kind of seen johannes be on the whole a pretty generous and nice dude right um yeah i really like the idea that she kind of suspects that he will make a, a heel turn or kind of make some big negative thing uh, I, I think that's so interesting. Like, I'm really excited to see the circumstances that could lead to that happening. Yeah. Well, and so, I guess, because I'm with her. I don't trust this at all. Like, especially, you know, if these angels and stuff were so great, then why aren't they doing anything about the demons, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I get the sense that we're shaping up for this, this site of, like, you know, right with a capital R to be, it, like, you know, very, like old testament uh type you know justice uh and and i think i think johans is going to be doing something that you know is is maybe utilitarian or something like he's going to have some plan that's like oh for the greater good of the structure of the universe but we've already kind of seen that karma in my opinion has a pretty shit idea of what's always fair uh (laughs) and and i think uh i think i'm going to end up landing on on the same side of whatever his big plan is fair enough well we'll have to wait and see i suppose um so Premags leaves Johannes' domain and her, her strength has really started to wane. Um, with her last little bit of waning strength, she starts preparing for some kind of ritual. And we get hints that it's going to be kind of a domain ritual, but maybe different. It, it's at this point pretty hard to understand what she's planning. I mean, I, my understanding at this point was it was just a straight up domain ritual. It's, it wasn't until fairly late into it that she's like, oh, I'm not actually planning a domain. And you're like, what? Mm. Um yeah. And of course, you know, while I thought it was a domain ritual, I was really questioning her choice of locale. Like, uh, yeah. I sort of got it, but I was like, oh, I don't know. Surely you could do better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> what is it? Just like she finds a, a hut, hut with some goblins in it. It's, a, <laughs> ah, it, it's next to domain. the swamp. The yeah. whole point is it's a park because the land is all swampy and so it's no one terrible. can develop on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we get a beat before she leaves Johannes' domain, actually, where. Uh, Johannes puts all the stuff he's got for her in a bag and she can't lift the bag. Like, it becomes really apparent, like, oh shit, this is way worse than we thought it is. Like, she's, it's, it's kicking off. She's about to, to be gone. 
Well, yeah, and because the thing uh, Johanna says before she goes to pick it up is, oh, I've I've magicked it, so it's ten times lighter <laughs> than it should be, and she still can't pick it up, and you're yeah. like, oh, man, this is really, like, we're entering the do or die uh, period. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, Butzak leads X-Mags to uh, this whatever goblin hut goblin uh, shack yep. um and premags has some chains and she starts setting up some chains for some reason it's it's kind of i think written in a way where a lot of the stuff you're not really meant to be following exactly what's happening until we get to the reveal it kind of reminds me of the bit where blake uh, trapped the the hyena yeah I, I guess to me i i was working off the assumption she was just doing a domain ritual so i was thinking that we were seeing that ritual in action mm. uh, so i was just like oh, okay so she's forming a perimeter around what she's claiming as her domain okay yeah yeah fair enough um one thing i really like is <laughs> uh, she gets buttsack to pass her the bag she says bag quietly she only managed to add the qualifier a fraction of a second before he let go he caught the strap with one finger stopping the bag mid-flight breaking the fall um it's so funny to me nice buttsack kind of desperately trying to find ways to obey the letter of the commands but screw with maggie and not never quite getting there um it's very fun i, I really love it yeah maliciously compliant but <laughs> yeah, is totally. fantastic uh, yeah especially you're right that the way that they're constantly both trying to screw the other one over like her by forcing yeah. him to be nice and him by trying to find a way around it it's great like the bit where he gives her the middle finger as the signal <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, yeah. it's pretty fucking hilarious it's i mean perfect. he's like the He's like the anti-Evan, in a way. <laughs> You're right, he is. Um, Butzak for familiar, I'm calling it. Uh, so, Butzak oh, kind God. of herds most of the goblins, starts fighting them, um, and they all get inside the building, and Premags puts together a bomb and uh, blows up the building, causing, like, <laughs> chunks of goblin to fly everywhere. But they seem to survive, just kind of really take, out, uh, take them out of the picture for a while. It's, it's so badass, and then also you kind of like... What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, so... I, don't, <laughs> well, I don't understand this part of the plan. Like, I, I get... I, in, my read on it is that she's kind of defining herself by her fighting of goblins, right? Which is a, a mm -hmm. key part of her identity. But I don't know, man. Still feels bold. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, again, they're goblins. It's hard to feel too yeah, sorry sure, for them. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and you but, say I'm bad yeah. for not feeling sorry for vestiges. <laughs> Come on. No, I stand by that opinion. <laughs> all right, all right, fine, fine. I, I guess I'm just a goblin sympathizer. <laughs> um, yeah, so so Premags has blown up the the shack, and she kind of crawls her way inside and starts setting up some ritual circles. Uh, and it's yeah, it's really it's really falling apart here. Yeah, but this whole bit is so tense because yeah, yeah, in the back of your mind, you you know she's she's probably going to make it, but just watching her like basically disintegrate like her consciousness sort of disintegrate as she's doing that you're just like oh like yeah it's it's you know there's just this sort of empathic like tenseness in you as you read yeah it. I, I don't know i mean the last person i thought oh they'll probably be fine also lost all their connections um that that's true we <laughs> we have we have just had a uh previous pov character die so you know you you can't yeah. be a hundred percent certain <laughs> um yeah i i really like the idea of this as well the world kind of is cracking apart and she's losing her vision and you can kind of tell that the cracks that are forming here are the place that is calling to her when she is has no identity um and it seems like it's a pretty dark place to be yeah i mean she refers to it as the void and mm. i definitely 
I don't know. I feel, I feel like maybe these are our hints that where uh where Blake's chilling right now. Mm. Um, I guess we'll see. You still I, think I, he's I, alive somewhere, huh? I I don't know. Maybe I I, I guess we'll see in nine point one. I I think I think maybe we'll get a new Blake. I think that's what seven dot X implied to us. Um, so so maybe not. But um, I mean I the this void or whatever this darkness uh may be where the old one ended up i don't know mm. i guess no he got destroyed by a thing in the first choir so probably not okay um no comment again <laughs> <laughs> so premags uh has her ritual circles and she starts defining her connections uh she defines a connection to her dad's to her mum to the goblins of course uh <laughs> to blake and the biggest one to molly yeah i mean she she wait, you know this this whole bit is so cool, but yeah. especially the bit with Molly because she really puts all of herself into that last one. Yes, um, you know the um, one that made her decide to do this is the one that she, you know, she puts it all on the line for. Yeah, she she starts dripping blood, um, and the cracks around her yawned wider. The structure shook. She could see one or two of the goblins smiling, which to me is the bit where I'm like, oh <laughs> fuck. What are you doing? <laughs> um, the goblins know that she is uh, literally about to fall through the cracks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she, she sits and she reads and she prepares and then uh, she claims her name. I, I pulled out the whole bit here, but I don't think I should read it all. Um, <laughs> she claims her name, Mags, but beyond that, she claims her personality. She claims her role. She claims who she will be in Jacob's Bell. Um, Doing it with a kind of cobbled together domain ritual that means she's making a claim on this and people have the opportunity to uh, come and challenge it. And she says she welcomes all challenges. Um, she will be the messenger, the ambassador, the deciding figure in Jacob's Bell until I'm replaced or unable to serve. <laughs> and then she uh, thinks, yeah. I will be a part of this shithole for the indefinite future, <laughs> which kind of takes away a bit from the moment. But it is a very cool moment. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I, for me, that enhances it, that, that little bit of comedy there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, this is so cool. Yeah. Um, it's such a baller move. And it's so satisfying, right? Like, she's claiming this role of being the, being connected to everyone in Jacob's Bell, being the messenger, being the middleman, which is basically what she had been doing through this arc, right? And we kind of, yeah. looking back through this arc, we realize, oh, yeah, she was talking to the Young Justice, she was talking to Mara, to Andy and Ava, to uh, Sandra, to... Johannes, she's kind of got favor with all of them, except I guess Mara, but that's probably not possible. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. about as close to an impartial party as you can get in town. I mean, the only one she had real issues with was Laird, and I mean that's not an issue yeah, anymore. Who cares about that um, now? <laughs> <laughs> um. So uh, yeah, I, I mean yeah, I, and I love like, just the conceptually this idea of uh a spin on the domain ritual to claim a, a name as opposed yeah. to a space like it's a very blake move i love it <laughs> yeah it's very um, cool but this is the sort of thing i wouldn't expect us to ever see rose do yeah um i mean <laughs> yeah. you know as, as we're talking about how impartial she is uh, of her five connections she's defined her new identity by two of them were one of the parties in the town so mm. you know I mean, nobody else seems to mind, so I guess maybe I'm overthinking it. But uh, <laughs> like, it does kind of seem like she's Team Thorburn more than anything else. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, well, I mean, they probably don't know who Blake is, so who cares? <laughs> yeah. um, Why have you only got four connections? Yeah, she has Shelly named four. <laughs> uh, so, kind of one by one, uh, all the residents of Jacob's Bell that she has interacted with come by to 
not challenge her claim. And we kind of see the goodwill that she's built over this arc pay off here. Yeah, it's such a great way to wrap up like our little story within a story. Mm. Uh, you know, we've had our, our little fairy tale protagonist go through all the challenges and then it's sort of each one is is coming by and it's like each achievement that she sort of had throughout the the whole arc is, you know, being delivered on in a very literal way. It's cool. Yeah. Um including Pordrick comes back. Uh he kind of gloats about how he screwed her over, but he does seem to be a bit impressed that she's kind of figured out an avenue for him for herself. Yeah, I, I, I assume the word interesting was probably going through his, his mind. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, this is yeah. probably what he would have hoped for, right? Um Yeah, this is this is possibly best case scenario <laughs> for him. Yeah. Uh so- I, I wanted to pull out this line where he uh where after Pordrig leaves, um, the text just says, But Maggie was gone, as was Pordrig. Yeah. And like that's that's such a good one. Yeah. I just I just need to call out that that one line. I was like, nice. Yeah. And it's great because she she as part of her claim, she says, I claim my strength and I deny Maggie Holt from taking anything further. Which seems to be enough to kind of shut down this uh identity shenanigans right here. I, I don't know if it did that. I, I would be willing to believe that Portrick's just like, oh, there's no interest in yeah, maybe. keeping it now. If everyone knows uh, and and stuff, there's not really any benefits for him. Yeah, fair enough. Um, the last group that come to No Contest Her is a strange group of people. Uh, Rose, Ty, Alexis, Tiffany. And I realise I didn't put Evan in my notes, but Evan's there too. <laughs> um, and they declare No Contest. And with that, Mags steps up and she is Mags. Yes, and and again, as we're talking about wrapping up uh, our our mini story, uh, tying it directly back into the old one uh, yeah. to finish is, he- or the the main one to finish. Yes, because uh, Mags remembers Blake, and she says, "Hey, where's Blake?" And they all look at each other like, "Huh?" <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, it's it's a great way. The, uh, I guess we'll talk about the the arc in general now, right? Because obviously, we know that this arc is taking place concurrently with some Toronto stuff, right? Um, yeah, but we haven't really. After uh, Podrick left, we haven't really seen how it matches up. And here, when when they come back and she reveals she knows who Blake is, uh, we kind of see it all click back together again. Um, and it's such a great way of of like having us have this side story that has references to the main story and kind of exists alongside it, but it's completely its own thing, and then just clicks and slots backly back nicely again kind of thematically and you know chronologically into the main story it's so like neat and tidy i love it yeah yeah absolutely um you know the vagueness with the time and and you know the effects of johanna's domain on that yeah meant that this wasn't something we had to worry about like if time had been super if time had been tracked super well i probably would have felt the need to be like okay so this is when blake was doing this yeah exactly um, and and it it sort of removes itself from that and then it comes back in at the end and just you know i, I think we like right in 8.2 we sort of mentioned it was like well does this make her immune to the unblakening and and it turns out yes it does <laughs> but you know like it, because it makes sense and and now we've got a window into you know, getting new Blake or whatever uh, yeah. next chapter. Blake original, we call him. <laughs> or Blake, cla- Blake new and Blake classic. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, I, I love this arc, right? Um, and I love yeah. the function it serves in the story, right? Because obviously it seems like the story is coming back to Jacob's Bell, right? Um, mm. And with that, 
we kind of need to see who the main players are because we've spent more time in Toronto at this point than we have in Jacob's Bell. Yeah. Um, and obviously Rose and the Thorburn cabal uh, are antagonistic to all the other players here. Um, and so it's so good to see who these people are a bit more in a bit more depth through this third party's eyes so we can kind of rediscover the lay of the land in a non-antagonistic setting. It's so, like, it's so uh, efficient storytelling to have this awesome story that also sets us up again for the progression of the main story. Yeah, absolutely. It stands so well on its on its own. Like, it's just a great little story yeah. utilising some characters we already knew, although even then, like, not so much. Like, it, yeah. it just stands on its own, but as you said, it <laughs> ties into so many parts of the main story. Like, it's it, it's a, such a fantastic... Um, interlude arc like yeah. just conceptually um it it was so good and it's just so fun like i just even if this was the whole story like if it was just this like this arc was still so good like just yeah. on its own she's such a and great part of the whole yeah she she is such a great pov right like she's yeah. so endearing and the the story we get of her finding her place is such like a nice self-contained story and it's got like mm-hmm. a perfect conclusion as well it's like it's brilliant i love it um yeah yeah i completely agree I think one other interesting beat that we kind of hit throughout this this uh, chapter, which is thematic to Maggie's story, but also, sorry, Mags's story, but also to the wider story, is uh, the 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 pretty clear hints that are dropping that um, the the lordship battle is really about to pop off. Uh, oh yeah. Even if we didn't know that Toronto had just had some stuff happening, which kind of sets it up to uh, be expanded into a bit. Um, the fact that everybody is kind of one upping each other politically and all trying to get maggie on side and get all their chips in a row uh it it really kind of says to us hey this lordship battle it's it's coming so get ready uh yeah there's a bit towards the end of 8.7 where uh mags is like wow so sandra thinks she can beat johannes and like, mm-hmm. i was thinking the same thing and, and like the only thing i can think of is you know the duchamps obviously have lots of other connections to yeah. families they could bring in and, and fairy and i'm thinking man Jacob's Bell is shaping up to become a fucking war zone yeah. at this rate. Like, if if this stuff gets heated, I think everyone's underestimating each other at the moment. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, in Toronto, it was kind of some established powers playing with their hands tied behind their back. Yeah. Uh, whereas Jacob's Bell looks like a, it, it's, it's looking up a lot more volatile. Yeah. I, I love the idea of Johannes is obviously very powerful and seemingly has a lot of others more or less at his disposal, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas the Sandra has all the Duchamps and all the interesting people that the Duchamps may have political marriages to, which means there's basically yeah. an unlimited amount of potential weird practitioners that could get pulled into this. And that's not even counting, like, Crone uh, Mara and the Briar Girl and the, the Witch Hunters and all these people that are interesting enough wild cards that they could play all play very pivotal roles in the right circumstance. like. It's really mm-hmm. setting the battleground. Yeah, like it's it's crazy how much more epic this is already feeling than what was going on in Toronto. Like Toronto felt like all these old powers shifting. This feels like a bomb about to go off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the last thing for us to talk about with this arc is signature. What does it mean? Uh, and to <laughs> me, this is one that's that's uh, pretty obvious. Um, we're obviously dealing with Mags uh, losing her name and getting her name, and, and there's some obvious representations of signature there. Um, 
And I can't think of any other signature meanings beyond the obvious one uh, that could apply. I mean, you know, signature means something musically. There's key signatures, there's time signatures, there's a few different things that signatures could mean, but I don't think any of them really apply as much as the, the most obvious one. Um, yeah, I think the only one I could sort of tie it into is, you know, there's the, like, the concept of, like, something having a signature thing, like, you yeah. know, a signature dish at a restaurant or, like, yeah. someone having a signature move. And, you know, I've, as I've liked to say, you know, Maggie's signature move was doing the, the uh, what was it, the smart thing, not the right thing, and just <laughs> kind of changed that up. Yeah. Um, you know, so, she, wait, but, I, like, I think, you know, even if you don't want to phrase it that way, I think the ending of this arc was established, uh, was sort of uh, uh, all built around her changing her pattern. Yeah, and, and and so like I, I think that sort of holds, but um, I, I mean, I think for me the main thing here is a, a signature, like in terms of when you sign something, it's it's you interpreting your name, like you know, y- yeah, your parents or whatever may decide your name, but you decide what your signature looks like. Yeah, I really like that. It's your representation of yourself, and that is exactly what Mags had to do. This arc is find her definition of herself. Yeah. I really like that read. I like the idea of your signature as your own version of your name. Kind of finding the meaning of your name to yourself, I think, is a very applicable theme. Yeah, yeah. It's it's about how you define yourself. And it's, it's just literally what she had to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's on point. Um, and that ends arc eight. What an arc. I loved it. Yeah. As I said, I'm, I, I, I'm simultaneously so keen to get back to like Blake, but also so sad to leave mags mm. well i'm sure we won't leave her completely behind uh, oh no she's gonna be in the story still but uh she had a very fun perspective yeah no, hopefully she and hopefully did. she keeps butt sack around yeah i i was kind of half joking about the butt sack for familiar thing but thinking on it more like <laughs> i would love to see butt sack and evan's interactions <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Those two are going to be fucking fantastic together. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, that's the end of our show. That's the end of our discussion about Signature 8.7. But don't worry, we're doing the rest of the story too. Um, so we will be back to talk about 9.1 uh, in a few days on, on Monday the 26th. I don't think that's right. Oh, isn't it? What is it today? Oh, no, you're right. No, you're right. It's th- it's Thursday the... It's Friday the 26th. Friday the 24th. Thursday the 20th. Yeah. No, yeah, no, Friday the 26th. Friday the well, 26th. I'll, I'll edit around this bit probably. No, don't. Um, <laughs> 9.1, Friday the 26th of July. Tell your friends. Yep. Um, In the meantime, uh, Elliot will probably be doing his live read of uh, 9.1 in uh, uh, probably right when you're listening to this. Or uh, if you've just started listening to this when it came out, probably started about half an hour ago so so yeah. head on over to our twitter which is at media md podcast and catch up on the first half hour of the live read and then eagerly await the second half hour of the live read ah oh, so keen to find out what happens in 9.1 <laughs> uh yes so if if you if you want to hear more about wild Bow stories uh the place to go is doofmedia.com where you can hear we've got ward and that's all about wild Bow stories mm-hmm. it, it's well there's one a of lot them of specifically well, two technically, like you know. Oh yeah, true, on. true. Woman, woman would. Um, I'll pay that. I think I think someone someone in our Discord was was doing the stats, and I think we've got Ward alone is is almost hitting a hundred hours. So mm. you know, it, there'll be there'll be Wildbow content uh, to your heart's content. Actually, one of the things that you'll find on Doof Media, my my personal favorite show on Doof Media, 
uh, is their discussion of the Wabo web serial Face, called About Face. I would highly recommend checking that out. Um, episode two coming out mm, one day, maybe. <laughs> get on it, Wabo. Um, if you actually do want Wabo to get on it, maybe one way to, to encourage him to write more about Face would be to support his Patreon. Uh, go to www.patreon.com slash Wabo. Donate him a lot of money and say, this is to bring Face back. Get on it. Um, and if you want to make sure about face accompanies face, you also <laughs> need to give a bunch of money to patreon.com slash doof media. Yeah. Um, doof media is entirely supported by its uh, backers as is Wabo. So if you enjoy this, you know, g- give some money. It, it genuinely does help us out. Um, the, the reason that our server hosting isn't shit anymore is because people gave money to doof media. So stuff like that. It, it really does help. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, if you want to leave so us your from thoughts, that, we'll s- no, the go. discussion thread, Elliot. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> if you want to leave us your thoughts on uh, Arc 8, or if you're really quick, you might be able to get in a final answer to the discussion question, but you'll really have to hurry because uh, we'll be picking the answers basically when this episode goes out because of how tight the timing is with these bonus chapters. I don't know yeah. how Wabo wrote these <laughs> chapters in this time because we can't even we can barely even keep up with talking about them uh, anyway yeah it's insane if you want to leave us your thoughts on some of this stuff the best place to do that is in the discussion thread which will be linked down in the episode description down below but apart from that we'll see you all on friday the 26th of july for 9.1 see you that then. time i'm very confident <laughs>